good evening. Let's all stand together. We're going to lift up our voices. We're going to sing a song that is called As He Gathered at His Table, but it's to the tune of Brethren We Have Met to Worship as we do our communion service tonight. As He gathered at His table, those who long to know the sing is Jesus at your holy table, but it's to the tune of Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus at your holy table, may our hearts united be. Find us with your grace and presence that redeem and set us free. Crucify how to love each other in the way that you have taught. Christ, remind us of your passion, of your precious life of Lord, of the love which none can fathom, and our victory Promise, feed us with your holy word. Nourish us with your strong presence. Risen Savior, only Lord. Amen. It is good to have each of you in the Lord's house tonight. Let's go ahead and go to him in prayer. Father in heaven, we come before you, and Lord, we thank you for the privilege, the opportunity to, get, to gather together this evening we, as we dedicate this service to your broken body and your shed blood. Lord, as we think about the sacrifice that was made not for yourself, for you were sinless, the Lamb of God, spotless. But Lord, we as sinners needed a sacrifice. And we thank you that you loved us so much that you were willing to be the sacrifice for us. And I pray that tonight as we sing, as we pray, as we look into your scriptures, that in every way we would exalt you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. 
And as we continue in singing, we're going to sing one of our newer praise songs, Man of Sorrows, Lamb of God, by His Own Betrayal. Man of Sorrows, Lamb of God, by His Own Betrayal. The sin of man and wrath of God has been on Jesus' Shed for you. Drink and re- 
train death's cup that all may enter in to receive the life of God. So we share in this bread of life and we drink of his sacrifice as a sign of our bonds of grace around the table of the I'd like you to take your Bibles with me, if you would, and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And this is a text that is a very common text for when we approach the Lord's Supper or communion. We can also go to the Gospels, and the Apostle Paul references in this text the Gospels, the message of the Gospels. Uh, the three Gospels that give to us the account of the upper room that involves the broken bread and the cup are the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John, if you go to the Gospel of John, and it will also bring you to the upper room, and there we learn so much more about all that was said in the upper room that evening. So much more of Christ's teaching, uh, like John chapter 14, where he talks about that he does go and he prepares a heavenly home for us. That's all out of the upper room teachings of Jesus Christ. But John, that fourth gospel, does not give us the breaking of the bread and the juice that represents his blood. So the synoptic gospels gives that to us. And if you remember, the whole reason that they're gathered together is because of the Passover. Uh, they have come together, they've come to Jerusalem, and there they've gone up into that upper room to partake of the Passover supper. Now we have this picture up here, and when I came in and I started doing my uh, song service, and I looked at the picture, there's something we know about that picture that tells us that that's not what would have been on the table at the Lord Jesus Christ's Passover supper. Does anybody know what is not right? And how do we know that's leavened? Because it's not flat. It's raised. It's raised bread. And so as the apostles would have gone ahead and gathered the supplies for that Passover dinner they would not have had leavened bread because where did all of that come from? It came from coming out of Egypt. And they were, go they were supposed to rush and come out and they didn't have time to put leaven in the bread and for it to rise. So it was unleavened bread that is even still today celebrated for Passover and therefore for us, even with communion, always it is unleavened bread. And does anybody know why it is that God had no leaven in the Passover bread? Leaven represents sin throughout the Bible, whether it be in the juice or in the bread. And so we find here uh, a lesson for all of us when we begin to understand why we do what we do. 
I know that Sandra Joe and I, many, many years ago, one of the churches that I worked at, that pastor, he loved to use one of the grandmas in the church had her very, it was a phenomenal bread. And so he always wanted to use her bread. And I told the pastor, I said, listen, I'm going to partake in communion, but I'm going to bring unleavened bread. And he said, that's fine, but we're going to use grandma's bread. For me, there's significance in that. And I hold on to that significance. As we come to this text here, we find a discussion between the Apostle Paul and the church in Corinth. Because he's wanting to straighten out some issues. Things that creep into the church. And things had crept into the church in Corinth in regards to the Lord's Supper. In regards to communion. And he's going to address it. So we're going to learn a little bit tonight about you and I being stewards of the Lord's Supper. Because the Lord's Supper is something that is passed from generation to generation to generation of Christians. In fact, the Lord said, as oft as you do this, do in remembrance of me. Because he, wants, he wanted what we're going to do tonight to take place throughout all of Christendom. And we are part of that stewardship of history. So as we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17 on down, I want you to listen to this text. And here we find the Apostle Paul, as God inspires him to pen these words, he's going to address some issues in the church in Corinth regarding the Lord's Supper. He starts off there in verse 17 and he says, now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not. That ye come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when ye come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you. And I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you. That they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When ye come together therefore into one place... This is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper. And one is hungry, and another is drunken. What? Have ye not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. So you find the Apostle Paul, he says, listen, I have been talking to folks who have been traveling through and they've told me what's going on in the church in Corinth. And he says, I want to address this with you. And he says, I want you to understand that I am not pleased because some things have crept into the church. So he, he's going to teach us about stewardship, stewardship of the church stewardship of Christian history concerning communion, and also stewardship of spiritual integrity. Because really, communion is something that brings us to a place of self-evaluation. As we look at our spiritual relationship with God in relation to His sacrifice, the shedding of His blood, the breaking of His body. So we're going to see that the apostle, as he pens these words, he starts off by talking to them about their church. 
He says to them in verses 17 and 18, he says, there is disunity within the church. Listen again to those two verses. Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you. And I partly believe it. And you know what, church, we often refer to our church as a church family, don't we? Because we pray for one another, we encourage one another, we support one another. But as much as we are a church family, we are also the bride of Christ. We are the church of God. And therefore, we should be a body in unity. Amen? It should be that we strive to all be in one accord with the scriptures and in the practice of the scriptures. So the Apostle Paul reminds us, that when we start approaching the Lord's Supper, and that's where he's going with this. He's going to the Lord's Supper. He's going to bring us right to the upper room in here. But he says it starts with the church being unified one with another. He says it's not good that there be divisions among you. In fact, the very next verse, he addresses even more. He says, you know, I think there's even heresies among you. Look with me down at verse 19. He says, For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. He's saying in order for this division to have taken place, there must be people who have been elevated up, approved among you. And so as one is lifted up, and another is lifted up, and another is lifted up, he says, this disunity must surely produce heresy. So he's heard things. He's, he's approaching this from the apostle who's been instrumental in their church being started. He's approaching this as the apostle who so loves and prays for these folks. And he says, this disunity is only going to bring about even worse heresy. So he wants them to understand that as they draw nearer to the subject of the broken body, the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, they themselves need to come together in unity, in good stewardship of church health. But as we come down to verses 23 through 26, I want you to see, well, actually, I want to jump back. Because I want you to look all the way at the end of the chapter, verses 33 and 34. Because he, he addresses for them a solution to their problem of disunity. Listen to what he says in 33 and 34 of chapter 11. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home. That ye come not together unto condemnation. And the rest will I set in order when I come. It's an interesting division that he describes within the text where they were coming together for meals, but somehow some were coming and not being fed. They were leaving hungry. Others were being fed, but others were drinking unto drunkenness. The kind of thing that was going on in their church was a disgrace to the Lord. So he tells them, take care of these if, if you've got these kind of problems, take care of these problems at home before you come to God's house. He says, 
tarry one for another, wait on one another. In other words, care enough to be concerned about one another. And then if any man hunger, eat at home. You're not coming here for a meal. I remember when I was a little, little boy, I probably only went to church three times in my entire childhood. My parent, my grandparents, my parents didn't go to church at all, but my grandparents brought me to a church a couple times, two or three times in my childhood. And I can remember that particular church did communion every Sunday. So as soon as it was just part of the ritual of the service, and I thought this was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen. You're sitting there, you come to church, next thing you know, they're giving you a snack. I thought, this is amazing. I looked forward to going with them just for the little juice and the little cracker. But that's not why we're coming together for communion, is it? It's not for a snack. It's not for a meal. And certainly it's not for people to come and use alcohol and get drunk. So Paul tells them, take care of these problems. Resolve these problems. Do your eating at home. Gather together in unity so that there would not be judgment or condemnation. And he tells them the last thing in verse 34, and the rest will I set in order when I come. I like that because the Apostle Paul is making it clear to the church in Corinth. He's saying, listen, this subject is not dead. I'm going to address this when I come. It's a little bit like our moms would do when we were little kids, when they would say, listen, this is not over. When your father gets home, we're going to deal with this. You know that something else is coming. What that may be will be judged at the time dad gets home. And the Apostle Paul is telling them here, I'm giving you some quick solutions, but we're going to address the rest of the trouble when I get there. But as he comes down, he, as I mentioned this a minute ago, we're going to look at his approach towards the stewardship of Christian history. Look with me at verses 23, 24, uh, on down through 26. He says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the new Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. He is reminding them of the church history of communion. Now, it's interesting when he says here, he says, I have received of the Lord which that which also I delivered unto you. And can anybody tell me, was, was the Apostle Paul in the upper room? He was not. He was not an apostle at that time. He was an apostle born out of due season is the exact way that he describes it. So how is it that the Lord has given this to him? The, the Lord has given this to him through revelation. It is many people believed a truth that the Apostle Paul was taught by the Lord himself in the hinder part of the desert after he had surrendered to the ministry. It tells us that he went down into Arabia and there he had spent time, two years. 
But here we know that as he inspires and to pen these words, these come from God. He tells us, he says, I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. He's not telling us what another apostle told him. We have Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're telling us the same thing. But he says God told him this. And so we get it right here as clear as day. And he gives us the history of the event. He tells us exactly what transpired that night, exactly what the ingredients were, exactly which, uh, what they stand for and what they uh, symbolize. So for you and I, it's so easy from, for, the, for the rest of all Christendom, for us to understand that we are going back to Passover. That's why Jesus and the apostles were in the upper room. We're going back and we're looking at the bread of Passover, that unleavened bread that they would have broken. And they would have had that juice, that unleavened juice that represented the purity, the sinlessness of the blood of Jesus Christ. He says, these are the ingredients and this is what God revealed to me concerning Christ in his interaction with the apostles. Second Timothy chapter two, verse two says, the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Just as you and I read this, so also will our children and our grandchildren until Jesus comes again, till the end of time, these texts will be looked at and they will be a part of communion services. It is part of the stewardship of the purity of the church and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Recorded in the gospels and remembered throughout time for every one of us. When you come down to verses 26 down to 32, we see him talk about the stewardship of spiritual integrity. Because the church is not the building. It's not about keeping the building dusted and clean and pure. It's about us, our hearts. And that's exactly what he's going to address here with them. He says, for as often as you eat this bread, in verse 26, and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he comes. He says, this is something that reflects on Jesus Christ, his shed blood, his broken body, all the way until the end of time. Verse 27, wherefore, and that word wherefore is saying to us because of, because of what I've just told you, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But a let, let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. So he's saying to you and I, when we approach the communion, when we approach that, that juice that symbolizes the shed blood of Jesus, and that bread that symbolizes the broken body of Christ, he says, when you approach it, you want to approach it worthily. That simply means that he, we need to look at ourselves spiritually and do a little check. Paula Jean's going to drive the bus for Sandra Joe's activity. 
And I know Paula Jean is a detailed person. And because she has a commercial driver's license, she has been taught she has to do what? A pre-trip check every time. And you have to do that every day with the school bus, right? And, the, and she used to drive for the city bus up in Burlington, just stopped. But you had to do it for them too. And so you do that pre-check, you walk up to whatever commercial vehicle it is you're driving, and you, at least when I took the test, I had a visual in my mind that I would start at a certain point and I would check through all the way around the vehicle. That's how it worked for me. Other people have better memories and they can do it randomly. No, I've got to do it systematically. Well, spiritually, all of us sometimes have to do that as well. We have to do a pre-check. We're coming to the Lord's Supper and he's saying to us, we need to be sure that we ourselves don't partake of it unworthily. So we start doing a self-examination. Look at what he goes down and he talks to them about as he continues down a little bit farther in the text. Let's go back there into uh, chapter 11. I'm gonna pick it up down here. We'll pick it up, oh, verse 29. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh to himself damnation, not discerning the Lord's body. And he's not talking about damnation of going to hell. He's talking about damnation in the sense of judgment, that God would judge us that we would ourselves experience the punishment of the Lord for being a person who's not in tune with him, not work, walking uh, in the spirit and honoring him in our lives. He says, we need to look at that, examine that self. That. Look at verse 30. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep or have passed away. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. He's saying, you and I are the children of God. And it is God who judges us, and it is God who, who guides us, punishes us, chastises us. He says, however, so much better to judge yourself. It's much better to go ahead and say to yourself, ah, Yes, I need to work on this. I need, to, I need to correct this. Lord, please forgive me. And he is faithful and just to forgive us. Rather than to go into communion and say, I don't care about my sin. Ah, God doesn't care. I don't care. He says, mm, that brings offense to the shed blood and the broken body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, because of that in the church in Corinth, there were people who were sickly, weak, there were even people who had died. And certainly we know, if you read the book of 1 First, First Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, they had some serious problems in that church. And he says, because of it, they experienced serious consequences in their life. You and I, every time we do communion, and the reason I do communion as your pastor the way I do, the reason we don't do it every Sunday, we don't do it every month, the reason we do it once in a while is because it just needs to be a serious thing. That's what we find here in 1 Corinthians. It needs to be something we really take soberly. We look at it, we take a moment and we say, you know what, this represents the shed body, the broken body, uh, the shed blood, the broken body of Christ. 
It is serious. And I need to really contemplate this. I need to prayerfully take time to, to make myself right with God. And I need to partake of this in a reverential holy manner that reflects the great sacrifice made. Like I said, when I was a boy, my grandparents a few times took me to church. And for us, it was just a snack for me. I knew nothing about its symbolism or what it meant. There was no more thought to it than it's juice and a snack. That's all I cared about. For us, it's so much more. It is genuinely a time of introspection. A time of holy contemplation. That Jesus Christ in the upper room told his apostles, this right here represents my blood that's going to be shed. And my body that's going to be broken. And every time you do this, remember me. So I don't do it every Sunday. That's not what I as a pastor choose to lead our church to do. Because I don't want it to become a habit, a ritual. Don't do it every month for the same reason. So I pace it out through the year. So that when we do do it, we step back and we really contemplate and consider. And that is our desire tonight. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, examine yourselves. Whether ye be in the faith, prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you? Except ye be reprobates. So it is written in the text that we ourselves step back and examine ourselves. Am I born again? Am I a child of God? Have I followed the Lord in baptism? Am I in right relationship with God as I approach communion? Am I walking with him in an honorable way? It should be part of taking that time to consider. Galatians 5, through 26 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another and envying one another. Here again, he's talking about this introspection, this self-examination. Are we letting God live in and through us? Are we people who are striving to bear the fruit of the Spirit? Are we folks who are not provoking or antagonizing one another or envying one another? But we are really trying to honor Christ in our daily life. We are going to take a few minutes and we're going to bow our heads and we're just going to take a time of private prayer. Uh, I'm going to close us in that private prayer before we take communion. But that private prayer for you and for me is simply a prayer of Lord, help me to make it right. You know, the Bible tells us that if we say that we never sin, we call God a liar. Because he says we sin. But he says confess our sin to him. So that he might forgive us of that sin. So we take a few minutes. And we just 
go into introspection and we say, yes, I am saved. Yes, I have been obedient to the Lord and following him in baptism. And, and yes, I am striving to walk with him. But maybe this area, Lord, forgive me and help me. Maybe in this area, Lord, forgive me. Help me to forgive others as you have forgiven me. Forgive me for not forgiving them. I mean, I don't know what your battle is in your life. But you do. God does. And so we take just a few minutes to resolve that between us and him. So that we can partake of communion worthily. So let's take a few minutes right now. In each of us, whether we kneel down at our pew or whether we bow our heads, we take just a few minutes and then I'll close us in a few minutes to just go to the Lord in prayer and prepare our hearts to partake of the Lord's Supper tonight. Let's go to prayer.